All right, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. So the title this morning is just Christian love. He's going to talk about loving like family. He's going to talk about loving the stranger. He's going to talk about loving the hurting. So we begin there in verse 1. Very simple. Um, He's laid out for us through these 12 chapters who we are in Christ. um, What Christ has done for us. And now he's just going to give a series of exhortations that seem short. Well, they are short. They're not seem short. They're short and they're to the point. Um, so rather than developing these uh, deep biblical principles like he has done in the earlier port, uh, part of the portion of this book, he's now just going to give us a series of exhortations. So the first one on the list, verse 1, is that we're, we are to love like family. Let brotherly love continue. The word here for brotherly love, so brotherly love, two words in English, but the one word in Greek, it's only one word in Greek, and it's Philadelphia. You've heard of this before. Uh, the city of Philadelphia is known as the city of what? Brotherly love. Okay, that's a Greek word, Philadelphia. And this is a word that was only used um, of blood relationships. Um, I don't know that there's any um, record of this being used in the figurative sense of like people that are common or they feel like they have a, um, a brotherhood together in something. Um, this was used of the you know, blood brothers and sisters um, until the New Testament comes along. And then in the New Testament, this word is picked up and it is used in that figurative sense of the affection and the unity the, uh, uh, th- that we have together as the family of God. And we are blood brothers and sisters. We are, um, you know, made one in the, in the cup of the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are called his sons and his daughters. And so this idea of being family um, is used throughout the New Testament. There's places you can find in the New Testament where it speaks of that blood relationship as well. But primarily, the conversation is around this family relationship now being brought into a relationship with one another. And there is something about that relationship of brothers and sisters. I mean, brothers and sisters can fight like nobody else on planet Earth can fight and then be okay. Now, listen, I'm not saying that there can't be, you know, that can never be breached. But if you think about it, brothers and sisters, um, they say it like it is to each other, right? I mean, if you ever heard a brother or sister talk and you didn't know they were a brother or sister at first, you might have said like, whoa, that was kind of blunt. It's like, yeah, it's my sister. Like, oh, okay. I mean, it's now you understand why it was so blunt is because that's your brother. That's your sister. You grew up together. You don't, you, you, you got past the, I've got to say this in a really nice way. I mean, you still need to be nice, but you got over, I got to say it in a really nice way because you guys fought over everything, right? You fought over the toys, you fought over the cookies, you fought over, you know, whatever it was. And so you learned how to, to do that. But the thing about brothers and sisters is if brothers can be fighting, our sisters, our brothers and sisters can be fighting, and if somebody stepped in and fired a shot at the brother or sister you're arguing with, all the tables were turned immediately upon that person. 
It's like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I might say that. I might talk like that. But you cannot talk like that. Because there's this bond. There's this affection, this love, this sense of family, right? You know, because it is family that is had for one another. I remember my, my sister, she's uh, four years older. And um, I knew that... Um, Maybe I knew more than she wanted to, but um, I realized that if I got in trouble, um, Big Sister could bail me out on that elementary campus. So on more than one occasion, I would announce to my sister, as I, she was, again, four years older, so I'd see her on the campus and go, hey, sissy, I called her sissy. Hey, sissy, I got to fight for you after school. <laughs> she said, Troy, I don't want to fight. And I'm like, well, you better, because they're going to beat you up if you don't. You know, so... Um, you know, I, that's not, you know, I, yeah, I was the one that would talk more than I should have. I couldn't back up everything I said. So, but I knew I had a sister, a bigger sister that could do that. And so there is a sense of like, I've got this person in my life. And um, on more than one occasion, she came. Um, you can ask me about later, but even when I was in the clutches of a principal, she came running around the corner and because she heard I was in, you know, a, a fight, but I was in the clutches of a principal, and she came running around the corner. We're in, we're in elementary school, but that sister was so hot and so on fire. That principal dropped me and walked away. <laughs> that this is this is what family does, right? I mean, it's like, phew, you you know. Now she could have been like super mad at me probably the night before for something a little brother would do, but in that moment, that's my brother. And this is the word that's used for us. Is that we are connected. We may disagree. We may have um, even arguments over things. But we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a word that the Holy Spirit picks up and says, you know what? I know how you guys use it, but we're now going to use it in our context and in our uh, family, the family of God. And so we are to have that kind of sentiment. We are to have that kind of loyalty. Paul exhorted the Thessalonians about this brotherly love, this Philadelphia. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 10, we read, But concerning brotherly love, or concerning Philadelphia, you have no need that I should write to you. That's interesting. This is a brand new church. Some would say there may be only a few weeks Old, maybe only three weeks old before Paul left and run, run out of town. He says, I don't need to write to you. I don't need to teach you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Love in the Christian faith is so obvious and apparent. Paul stated that he didn't need to even instruct them about this because God had taught them. You ever make up words? Yeah, I do. My wife is good at telling me, that, yeah, that's not a word, Troy. I'm like, wow, well, are you sure? It feels like a word. I just used it. So, um, and do you know what it means? So it's, it's a word. She says, no, it doesn't work that way. So have you ever made up a word? Well, maybe even you've made up a word among your friends or in your family, and, and that word ended up sticking. It's like, yeah, we know it's not a word, but it's a word. We use this word. And it, it takes on meaning. Well, Paul made up a word here. When he says that you're taught by God, you can look in the Greek literature, and you will not find that word used any other place except for right here by Paul. It's the word theo 
didaktos, which means, well, look at your Bible, taught by God, God taught. You are God taught when it comes to loving the brotherhood. And you have no need that anybody, not even an apostle, would come to you and say, hey, you need to love your brother and sister in Christ. Nobody needs to tell you that. You want to know why? Because God's already told it. And he told it to a group of people that were only a few weeks old in Christ and were already suffering persecution. But it was so entrenched in their hearts and minds that nobody had to tell them to do it. They just started doing this. Now, in the Old Covenant, God took his finger and he wrote on tablets of stone the Ten Commandments. Pretty amazing. I mean, amazing. God actually wrote those down on those tablets. And um, Moses took them and they were the Ten Commandments. But in the New Testament, God does not write on anything that is, you know, like that. But he does write. And and we we find in the New Covenant that God writes. Where does God write under the New Covenant? Anybody know? Our hearts. He writes in our hearts. And what is one of the things that he writes? Well, you've got it right here. You don't have any need that anybody should touch you, be, uh, teach you because God teaches you this. He writes, love the brotherhood. This is how important it is to the Lord. And what Paul goes on to say is, I know I don't need to teach you, but I am going to urge you to increase more and more. So there in verse 10 at the end, he says, increase more and more. The word increase has the idea of abundance, or think of it this way, leftovers. Have leftovers in your heart of love for the brotherhood. It's like, I have no more, I have no more place to love people. Okay, I think all of us understand that. We maybe have all even had a similar kind of thought. However, To the humble, God gives more grace. If you're in the place where you're like, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm all out, then that's where you come and say, Lord, you've commanded me that I would have leftovers of love for the brotherhood. So would you work in my life? Would you touch my life? Because this is how we are to be. So the longer you walk with Christ, the more mature you come, the greater your heart is ever increasing, your life, your mind, your, your skill is ever increasing with love. You should not become um, deficient in love the longer you walk with Jesus. You should have more love. The older you are in Christ, the more love and patience and tolerance you ought to have for those that are around you, not less. I I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but you know, my grandmother, uh, great grandmother who lived with us when I was growing up, um, her name was, we we called her Granny, and I was confused because for the longest time, because I thought she kind of looked like the Beverly Hills uh, Hillbillies granny. Does, does anybody remember that one? And she kind of, and I, I remember as a little boy just thinking, is she on the movies? What is the deal? Because she was called granny. Well, she lived with us. And um, granny didn't, wasn't a, a big talker, but whenever she said something, you usually wanted to listen. And uh, one of the things that she said is grumpy old ladies were once grumpy young ladies. Because she, she was an old lady. I mean, she died when she was 92. So she was kind of defensive about the old lady thing. And she was not grumpy. She was so wonderful. She has so much joy. She was, she was great to be around. And so as you grow, don't blame it on your age. I mean, if you're in Christ, I mean, don't blame it on your age. Well, I'm just old and grumpy. No, 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 no. If you're old in Christ, then you've increased more and more in this department. So this is how we are to be as uh, those that are taught by God 
to love one another. If you're born of the Spirit of God, then you innately know that I am to give myself away for that brother. I am to give myself away for that sister. Jesus even said that the world would know that we are his believers because, uh, are his followers because of our love for one another. People would look and say, look at the way these people take care of each other and minister to each other in love. What, what is their deal? Oh, they are Christians. I don't get it. They follow Jesus. What? Remember Jesus of Nazareth? That guy? They're his followers. Oh, I get it. Oh, yeah. Okay, that makes sense now. That's how we should be known. How sad that the world has come to think of the church as a group of people who spend much of their time in gossip and factious disputes. That's sad. I remember when I was a missionary in Australia um, and inviting this one man to church, and he said, young man, if I want to fight, I can go to the Moose Lodge. That's what he said. I'm like, well, and you know, and the thing is, (laughs) that particular church had gone through, it's a big, big division and fight. And I'm like, yeah, I know, and you're actually right. You can fight just about anywhere. We do it at church too, but that's not the way God wants it to be. God wants us to be a people that are generous and gracious and loving and kind and forgiving and willing to embrace all people. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more in just a moment. So love should be increasing. Um, you know, no sports team and no warriors on the battlefield should have more of a sense of brotherhood than those that have been God taught to have Philadelphia, to have brotherly love. May we grow and increase. May we have leftovers in our heart and in our mind to take care of each other. This is the exhortation from Scripture. Beware of things that would try to kill and threaten that Philadelphia. When you've been offended and you don't want to forgive. When you have offended and you don't want to go and say, sorry, I was a jerk. I was into myself. I have no excuse. Please forgive me. These are the things we must do. Or just getting too busy in life so that I have no more time for fellowship. And if we're going to have brotherly love, you've got to be around your family. You have to be near to them. You have to spend time with them. And if we are to say, I just don't have time for fellowship, then you've got to change your schedule. Because you're going to, you will, I'm not saying you're not going to heaven, but you're going to answer for that when you get to heaven. The greatest commandment is that we love God. The second greatest commandment, or second commandment is that we would love one another. And we are told to especially show kindness towards the household of faith. Not that we don't love people on the outside, but inside the house, inside the family, if we can't love each other here well first, then how are we possibly going to love people on the outside? That's the thought. So you've got to get connected with each other. This is so important. The next commandment there in verse 2, again, just straight to to the point, is don't forget to entertain strangers. And so he says, and remember, I'm kind of like, um, and by the way, if you don't do that, you might, you, might not enter, you might not show hospitality to an angel. So, I mean, I did, we, we turned this into a discussion about angels, and it's not meant to be. It's kind of like, hey, you really ought to show hospitality. Oh, and if you think you're not going to do that, remember that one day you might be kicking an angel out of your house. So don't do that. We'll talk about it in just a moment, but let's really focus on the important part, and that is do not forget to entertain strangers. Love the stranger. Now, the text could, the text could support 
the idea of loving people outside of that, outside of the faith, right? That you're going to show, um, you're going to entertain them, you're going to show hospitality to them, you're going to invite them into your house, is the idea here. Um, but it certainly could include just believers you don't know, and and that's kind of where I want to spend our time is talking about that point, but you feel free to develop that in your own conversation, because I think the text, I'll even cross-reference another verse that's gonna talk about that. So it is something that it's both. Um, But we are to um, be those that are loving the stranger. Now, the word brotherly love, what's the Greek word for that? Philadelphia. The the Greek word for entertain strangers, two English words, one Greek word, is um, philozenia. You heard of xenophobia before, right? Well, this is loving the strangers, not being afraid of strangers. But uh, so there's a, there's a linguistically, these two verses are being connected with, you know, have Philadelphia, have Philozenia. Love the stranger. And so don't run from the stranger. Don't walk away. I don't know them. I'm not responsible. Well, not, in the, not as a Christian. You are responsible to love the stranger. Um, hospitality um, in the early church was so important for the spread of the gospel because, you know, you didn't go check into hotels. What was available um, were inns, and these were often places that neither a Christian or even your average Roman Greco citizen wanted to go to. They wanted to be invited into a house. I mean, stranger... Is fine. I would rather go into a stranger's house than go and stay at that inn because of the kinds of things that took place at the inn. So no Christian wanted to be there. Not even just good citizens wanted to be found in a place like that because of the debauchery and the immorality that took place in these uh, situations. So you find many references in the New Testament to this idea of loving the stranger, showing hospitality. Romans 12 13 says, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. The word given here is interesting because in some contexts, depending on the context, the word would not be translated given, it would be translate persecute. So you get a sense of, man, this is a forceful word. This is a word that has some energy behind it. Now, of course, context is going to determine um, and But persecute has the idea of chasing somebody down, going and finding somebody. So if you think about it, you're to chase down the person that you need to show hospitality. You're to be given over to this. You think about somebody that was persecuting um, the church, like uh, Saul of Tarsus. He was breathing threats. This is what he was given to. His life was about tracking down Christians. He was given to that. He was a persecutor of the church. But we are to be given to hospitality. Hospitality is that that grace or that art of making people feel comfortable when they're not in their normal surroundings. And they just, you know, welcome. Now, some of you are great at this. I mean, some of you, like, you've never met a stranger. Like, I, my, that is my wife. I mean, my wife will, will talk to people and she will like have the whole story before the Big Mac is given to her. 
okay? So if you go in and she order, and there's a line, she's going to know the person before the Big Mac is ordered. And it's like, I'm, well, can I pray for you for that? And this is, she just, like, who was that? Like, um, oh, that was, you know, give her the name, Jody. Oh, do we know her? No, I just met her. Were you guys talking about her divorce? Yeah, I was talking about her divorce. How did you get on that? I don't know. She just started talking. And she just, she has that kind of personality where people just open up to her. They don't do that with me. Um, it's like, uh, he kind of seems like, is he mad? You know, no, I'm not mad. I'm really not. I'm a happy guy. But that, I, that's just not who I am. Um, that's how I come across. I, I, I am hospitable, but... But you just know it with her. You have to kind of like, I hope so. I hope he is. He's, he's a pastor. He should be. I know the verse. Um, but, you know, if you meet her, she's just like, yeah, she's safe. But this is how we are all to be. We are to be given to hospitality. So important, First Timothy 3.2, a bishop, a leader of the church, must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, and what? hospitable. It was a requirement to be a leader of the church. Um, and then 1 Peter 4, 9, and you're like, well, yeah, I show hospitality, but, well, you're not going to like this verse. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So you got it done. You cleaned up the house. You made the meal. You had them over. They stayed the night or two, and now they're gone. But all of that is to be done without grumbling. And, you know, listen, people know whether or not you're happy they're there or not. And, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where, you know, you will be, have to put yourself out if you're going to love, if you're going to love the stranger. And you're like, well, yeah, but you know what? This is a different day. This stranger now, you know, there's strangers that are dangerous. Well, they had this problem in the early church. So believers knew that there was this exhortation, believers, who knows, maybe they were just, you know, frauds, pretending to be believers. They knew that there was this exhortation that Christians were commanded to show hospitality. So people began to take advantage of them, and they would manipulate them into, you know, showing hospitality. So, of course, we got the New Testament finished being written around 96 AD, but there was a, one of the earliest Christian books that came after the New Testament was a book called the Didache. Didache is the Greek word, just means teaching. That's all it means. Um, uh, I talked about the word, um, you know, taught by God is theodidikos. This is the same kind of root word of Didache, just means teaching. And it addresses this issue. Now, it's not scripture, okay? So don't take this as scripture. Just take it as a Christian author writing. But they address this issue of those that would want to take advantage of hospitality. And so let me, I'm, it's up there for you to read along with me. It says, let every apostle who comes to you be received as the Lord. Well, that's pretty warm welcome, right? But he must not stay more than one day or two if it is absolutely necessary. If he stays three days, he is what? A false prophet. And when the apostle leaves you, let him take nothing but a loaf until he reaches further lodging for the night. If he asks for money, he is a false prophet. So there was abuse. So if you're thinking, well, I'm not, I can't do this today, I can't show hospitality to, to people I don't even know, even if they are a Christian, because somebody might take advantage. They will. 
Some will take advantage. But what do you do for all those that won't take advantage? Because most that come in the name of Christ are not going to take advantage. Now some, but you can see how this would have been really helpful. Right? So if somebody came and it's like, yeah, I want to stay a week. You're like, oh, you're a false prophet. And the Bible says that I should not welcome false prophets into my house. Get out. I mean, yeah, I mean this is, you know, John said it. Don't, don't welcome them in. So they could do that. Or if he asked for money, now the word, this tight network of, of, uh, of believers, the word was going to get around that, you know, whatever, Epaphras, he's a false prophet because he wanted to stay three nights and he asked for a loaf of bread and a falafel sandwich. So <laughs> beware of Epaphras, the false prophet. So, there, the, the, you know, the, the church began to correct those that were wanting to be manipulators. But this is how the early church spread the gospel. It was through this network of, of hospitality. Uh, Third John, verses 5 through 8 says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey, so give them that loaf of bread, in a manner worthy of God, you do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake. So you're helping out the traveling missionary, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. So you may not be going to the next town where they're going to go share the gospel that's never heard it. But if you gave them a night's lodging and you gave them a loaf of bread, guess what? You're now an evangelist with them. You're supporting the work. And so, so important. You can see how this was a, a key for the church to do this. If you read the book of Philemon, Paul will make mention of how Philemon often took care of him and had a place for him to stay when he showed up. So we need to be, yes, we need to show brotherly love, but we need to be hospitable. We need to uh, be caring. You're like, well, I just don't know. Well, just think about this. You may be kicking Gabriel the, uh, you know, or Michael the archangel out of your house when they come. That's, that's the idea. You're like, well, what are they talking about? Well, Abraham, Sarah, they entertained angels. Lot, they entertained angels. Manoah, the father of, of Samson. Gideon. They all had these encounters with um, heavenly visitors. And so he's like, hey, a heavenly visitor may show up. You don't want to be known in heaven as the house that didn't welcome in a guest from heaven. And so the idea of saying that was, so don't turn anybody away. Because you might be turning away. So this is something where we increase more and more. We, what? we have access. We have the ability to love, even to the stranger. Now, listen, it's a different day, okay, than first century world, or even in, you know, Abraham's day. I mean, if you didn't show hospitality, you know, the, it was a shame on the entire village, and you could actually incur physical consequences for not showing hospitality to a, tra a traveling stranger. But it's a different day, right? I mean, we have, we have hotels, we can go online, we book them, we know if it's a clean hotel, we know if it's a, how much it's going to cost, we do this. And, and I would imagine most travelers want to stay in the hotel. So as a matter of fact, if I, you know, the next time I go to travel, if I was walking into a hotel and somebody came up and said, are you staying in this hotel? I'm like, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, who are you? You're talking to me. Um, I'm in the hotel. You're asking where I'm sleeping, you know? Yeah. He goes, well, I tell you what, why don't you save some money and just come stay with me? 
Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to do that. As a matter of fact, just try it. I just try it. Go stay out in front of a hotel here in town and ask people as they come in, hey, I've got a house. Would you like to come stay with me? You're probably going to have the Lynchburg Police Department show up our finest and say, excuse me, what are you doing? Stranger danger, right? I mean, you're a stranger to them. They're a stranger to you. But so, I mean, it is a little bit different, but there is still plenty of opportunity to welcome and to love and to make people feel comfortable that you don't know. I imagine you don't know everybody in here. I was at a home fellowship this past week and some been, you know, people have been coming to church for years. I don't even know them. And so you probably feel the same way. You don't know people. So get to know them. Take some time. Open up your house. Make it a comfortable place. And I, I know we have some students here right now, but not as many as are going to be here in about six weeks. Have you noticed that we have a lot of students that come here? Has anybody noticed that? Probably about 500 students will come. And they're away from mom's home cooking. They don't have a place to clean their clothes. You know, they don't maybe have a place to watch the football game. They haven't been fishing in a while. I think, we can, I think we can hit this out of the park. If it was our kids going to another town, you would want people to be taking care of them and loving them, especially inside the church. So I'm just going to put that out. You know, you've got a few weeks to get ready for this. Think how you're going to love these students when they come back. You know, invite them over to your house, grill a burger, let them be in the house. I mean, you know, let them take part in the, you know, the game with you or, you know, invite them over. Hey, we're, you know, we're going to be making some cookies. You know, uh, all the girls out there are going to be so glad to be able to, it's like, oh, I haven't done that. I used to do that with my mom. And they're going to want to come. Love them. Love them. And love each other. The people you don't know, look to get to know them. It's still needed today. Lastly, verse 3, we're to love the hurting Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. So we're talking about believers that are in the body. We're talking about believers that are in jail. And we are to remember them. We are to love them. It was a common thing in the New Testament for believers to be persecuted and thrown in. If you read the book of Acts, you pick up on it pretty quickly. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus said you're going to end up in jail a lot. You're going to even be put to death. So this was something that happened. And so the author here, and he's, I think it's back in chapter 10 maybe, where he referred to the, how they, they took care of those that were in prison. But he's reminding them, you got to keep on doing that. The temptation could be, if I associate with those that are in jail, I might end up in jail also. You might be thinking, well, if I associate with that person at work or in the community or neighborhood, everybody knows they're a believer and they don't like them and they aren't getting the raises and they're not getting invited to things. So I don't know if I want to get real close to them. Now, listen, if, they're, you know, if that's the problem because they're a terrible employee, well, don't blame Jesus for that, okay? Or they're insubordinate or they're lazy or they're obnoxious and rude. But if it's for the faith then to avoid them is a really wrong thing to do. And if it's for the other reasons, go exhort them to stop doing that. Call them to repentance. But we need to be associating with those that are in trouble and hardship and are going through a lot because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, there, several years ago, there was a brother who was from Operation Mobilization, missions organization, and he shared this story that how he and a team had gone over to Turkey and they were um, a music team and they were 
going to be putting on, or they were putting on concerts, and they would go out in the community, and they'd invite people uh, to come. So they had these flyers they were handing out. Well, one of the guys that was helping to uh, work with them on this had a death threat against him. So they were out in the community handing out the flyers, and he decided that he wanted to come and join them as they handed out flyers. And, and he had his little his son or daughter was on the shoulders, and they were out there handing out the flyers. And so some of the Americans began to think, I don't know if it's a good idea that he's out here with us. I mean, if he's got a death threat on him, then being around him makes it dangerous for us. So they actually approached him. I mean, the guy's telling the story. He's the one that approached him. And so I went and I told him, I said, hey, I don't know if it's a good idea for you to be out here. If there's a death threat, people will easily find us. Maybe this isn't a good idea. And he responded and said, this is the problem with you Americans. He goes, you think you're alive, but we know that we are already dead. You need to learn to live like you're dead. And so they were trying to, um, and he talked about this and how the Lord so convicted and changed his mindset. But we withdraw from those where maybe there's danger around their life because of the gospel. But actually what it says is remember the prisoners as if chained with them. In other words, you should feel their plight like it's your plight. Um, McKnight and Church uh, actually translate the the last phrase, since you yourselves are in the body also, they translate it and says, as if, you're, as if you yourselves were in their body. That you were living inside their body. And the pain and the trouble and the hunger and the distress of their heart and mind, that it's yours. Remember them like it's yours. Not like it's some people you don't know or you don't care about. We are the body of Christ. We've been brought together and so it is important for us to remember. I want to close here with just a few statistics that tell us about what's going on worldwide and the church and how she's being persecuted. There's a map if you want to go ahead and put it up. It shows the, the, the level of persecution that it goes on in the world. This is, comes from um, Open Doors uh, uh, Ministry. And this map, the orange is the um, uh, high levels of persecution, and the red is the extreme level of persecution. And so you can get a sense of where people are suffering the worst. Um, last year, 5,621 Christians were put to death because they followed Jesus. But when you talk about persecution, it's not just those that were put to death. Obviously, that is quite severe. But they estimate that more than 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. That would include things like um, losing your job, losing your possessions, physical assault, certainly being put to death, um, imprisonment, forced marriages. So in other words, you're a Christian family and your daughter is being taken and is being given to this man over here um, who's of a different religion. These are the things that people are suffering because they love Jesus, because they're going through this. One in seven Christians are persecuted worldwide. One in five Christians are persecuted in Africa. Two in five Christians are persecuted in Asia. So that's where the persecution is... Um, the most intense. Um, I think North Korea is number one on the list. But in Africa, Nigeria is 
terrible place for Christians right now. And so we are to remember them like we are in their bodies, that we are the body of Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said to um, Saul of Tarsus when he apprehended him on the road to Damascus? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you what? Why are you persecuting who? Me. Why are you persecuting me? Well, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He has already died on the cross and is risen in his glorified body. Why would Jesus say he's being persecuted? Here's why. Because we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And so if you are being persecuted or she is being persecuted or somebody on the other side of the globe who speaks a different language you've never seen, you don't even know their name, is being persecuted, it's part of the body that we are a part of. It's an arm, it's a leg, and we should care. We should feel that and we should remember them. How do we remember them? We can pray for them and you can give when you find out of a, a legitimate place to give. And you got to be careful um, as you give. So often these ministries um, end up taking advantage of the generosity of the church. And so um, we're actually in the, I asked uh, Jeremy to find a place where we could make a sizable donation to just to help out the persecuted church. And um, we most, most of them would like to give it to a group of people we know. But we'll see how the Lord leads us and guides us in that. But these are two ways. We can pray for them. And we can give to them in their need. So tonight, I would encourage you to come on out and fulfill this scripture. Be obedient. We're going to spend the entire night dedicated to praying for the persecuted church um, around the world. So um, i got a short little video. got some more um, stats to show you guys. And then we're going to spend some time praying for them. We are called to love like family. We are called to love the stranger. And we are called to love the hurting. So this is very, this is very easy for us. You don't have to have a special skill set to do this. Right? This is just, if you're a believer, then you can do this. And may we do it. I'm glad that we get to share in communion this morning. Because in communion, we're going to eat of the bread which Jesus said, this is my body. So thinking about that imagery of the body of Christ and how we are to love each other, we are to remember those that are being crushed and persecuted. We're going to eat of the bread, we're going to drink of the cup. Now, lest you say in your mind, well, wait a minute, that's just about redemption. You're right. First and foremost, the cross is about redemption. It's about his body being broken that ours might be made whole. It's about his blood being spilled that our sins might be forgiven. I have no dispute with you. But do you know that if you read in Ephesians, you'll find out the other reason why Jesus went to the cross was to make us one? To make the Jew and the Gentile one. So when we come and we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup, it is appropriate for us to ponder and remember our redemption and our forgiveness. But it is also to remember that in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, he was bringing the different people together into one people. And so it's good for us to have a message like this, thinking about loving the brotherhood, loving um, the stranger, especially those of the household of faith, and loving the hurting, because this is what we do. We're family, and we are to love like family. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you do hear us, and you see our needs. Lord, when we cry out to you for help or encouragement, so often the way that prayer is answered is you send somebody. 
They pick up the phone. They call us. They send a note. They, they drop in unexpectedly. We hear them say, hey, you've been on my heart. And Lord, that tells us that we're on your heart. And so you, you, you put one of your servants into action. Lord, we want to be those servants that are moved into action. Just to have that strong sense of brotherhood. But also to, to love those we don't know so well. To show them kindness. To make them feel at home and comfortable. A part of the family. And then to think of those that are suffering. Lord, we want to do all of these things. And as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, which speaks of your broken body and speaks of your spilled blood, Lord, we pray that you'll be reminding us of the body that we are a part of. And we thank you.